welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Burden Willow. That is Shiloh and Jared Cock. They are a brother and sister duo, but they do have a band. And uh, it, it was a pleasure having them here. And I know that this podcast episode is a bit late. I do apologize. Um, but it's here. And man, it is great. I had a great talk with them. And they performed at the end. And uh, it, it was a it was a beautiful song. It really was. So look forward to that. Look forward to that. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please follow the podcast on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. There's different content in, in all three of those. So check that out. How are we doing, people? How's your week? You guys survived the rain? Oh, man. It has been raining. It's been drenching. It's, like, pretty crazy. Uh, I got uh, I got messaged by David Mia. He is a, an artist uh, who was here on this podcast not too long ago. And he's let me know that there's an event coming up this Tuesday at Collide Gallery in downtown San Jose. It is a, it's usually Two Buck Tuesday, and they're having life figure drawings. So uh, check that out. If you have any plans on Tuesday, cancel them and head over to Clyde Gallery for this great event. Uh, on the poster of this event is uh, of Diana uh, D'Angelo. She's a good friend of mine uh, from Frascati. And it's pretty cool that she's in the front cover. She's in the poster for this event. And she's a real awesome person. So, yeah. I think I, You know what? I might go there. So if, if that's a better reason to show up because you might see me there. Uh, so it's this Tuesday at Clyde Gallery. That's on 80th South 4th Street um, in San Jose, California. And uh, I can't wait. Check it out. Some great art. Some great people. Before we get to our conversation with Bird and Willow, uh, I kind of want to talk about something. Uh, the Metro came out with a uh, with a, a front page article about the local comedy open mic scene. And uh, and I always believe that any publicity is good publicity for the scene. I'm all for the scene and for its growth. And I myself, I uh, I run the comedy open mic at Cafe Frascati every Wednesday night in downtown San Jose. And uh, I kind of feel left out. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think about it, there's very few comedy centric open mic. And on top of that, there is no other cafe comedy open mic besides Cafe Frascati or and especially one that has been running for as long as Cafe Frascati which we're about two and a half years we're coming up to our third year and man we weren't even supposed to be lasting this long and here we are uh, I say we because uh, when I started Cafe Frascati I didn't do it alone uh, I, I really got to give a lot of credit to uh, Alicia Bogart who was the supervisor at the time and for Roger for allowing the space to happen, and for others such as Jacob Wheels and Miranda Caravello, uh, they we had a low point at Frascati, and they really helped me bring it back up and revitalize it to what it is now. And it's a it's all ages. So I I, I did it's I mean San Jose is such a it's a bit of a small town. Where it's hard for me not to take it a bit personal. Uh, like I it would have been nice. To have a, a a comedy voice at the table, um, 
Uh, and I know it sounds like I'm whining. It's like, oh, shut up, Jorge. Like, who cares? Well, I don't know. It's like a, I really thought I was part of the community. And with this recent uh, article, it, it, I mean, it mentions for Scotty, but it doesn't really uh, cover it as it did to the others. And I was a... Uh, and I I I, I kind of interpret it as a, as a as a fuck you and to what you doing at Frascati, and that kind of hit me because a lot of uh, tears, blood, and a lot of other things have been shed to keep that room running, and it's not hard. I mean, actually, it is hard. Yeah, that's not what I meant. I meant it's it's not easy running a, an open mic, much less a cafe, much uh, a cafe open mic. So uh, and then. It's I mean it came out on Wednesday. I was a bit pissy about it. I haven't really processed it. And at the end of the day, I think I, I just you know I just feel a little little disappointed that we were left out, and that uh, that yeah I don't know. It's it's a good way to make a, an outsider feel more of an outsider among outsiders. But then you know I think about it more, and I think about the, the many stuff that has gone through at for Scotty. And what Frascati is, and and how it plays a role to the culture, especially downtown. I'm very proud of Cafe Frascati comedy open mics. Uh, I understand that it's not an easy room for a lot of performers, and I understand it's not uh, an easy event for a lot of, of people who come to get their cafes. But it is, I feel, very important, especially when it when it's part of the art district of the Sofa District uh, block neighborhood. Um, and uh, I just want to give a big shout out to everybody who has helped and support Cafe for Scotty Comedy Open Mic from the beginning to somewhere in the middle to where we are now. Uh, again, I wouldn't be able to be running it properly if it wasn't for their help. And of course, to all the comedians who come and perform and, and support it. And um, when it comes to the Metro uh, uh, article about it, uh, about the comedy open mic scene, Good. I mean, it, like I said, it's good that they're getting some publicity, and it, it's uh, for the most part. I hope it, it brings good stuff. But um, for the for, for the most part, it's like it's kind of expected, right? It's kind of expected. Sometimes you're not when you're not in with the program, you you get uh, you get excluded a bit, and well, nothing you can do but just keep doing what you're doing, right? But. Uh, yeah, just want to throw it out there. Kind of felt down about it, and I remember uh, on, <laughs> I mean, on Wednesday I was pretty pissy. I, I just you know just went along with the show, and the show ended. Had my beer. It's kind of a, of a routine I have at Cafe Frascati at, at the comedy open mic. I have a, I drink a beer at the end, and then I take a walk. And I was taking a walk, and I ran into a bouncer who worked for the Continental, which was just down the street. And he was like, "Hey man, I, I stopped by my break to to your comedy show, and man, it was great. I, I loved it, and I should I should come down more on my breaks." And man, hearing that from him made it feel so much better. Like it really made me feel better. It's like, all right, here's someone that acknowledged uh, mine and others' work that put into running a comedy open mic at Cafe for Scotty. So I'm doing much better now. But yeah, a little disappointed. But oh well. I just got a Facebook message. God, as you can tell, I'm very professional. Who did that come from? Came from Alexander Love. That's right. That's right. We, we she runs a her podcast of her own at FCC Radio, 
and we've got to grab some coffee soon. Um, yeah, so, I have a bad habit. Talking about bad habits, I think the interview starts out with me talking about a bad habit, but leaving my Facebook on while I'm recording this intro. Got to work on that. All right, enough about that. Here we go. We're going to go into our interview with Bird and Willow. Uh, before we go to our interview, you're going to listen to a song from their latest EP record, uh, A Place to Land. And the song that I'm going to play right now is the song A Place to Land, which is one of my favorites from their EP. And at the end of the show, they perform a live acoustic song uh, that's not even on the EP record. It is a, a very new song called Forfeit the War. And I must say, uh, how it is currently in our political climate, I think it, it is a much needed song to be heard. Alright, so let's get to that. Here is Bird and Willow. her head the chaos all around keeps her tied down all motivation seems to fail ambitious plans of no avail each step she tries to take is through a minefield of mistakes Without a face and puzzle pieces out of place An empty cup upon sill and all the coffee that she'd spill A game she never played and a bill she never paid Oh, 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 oh,
I'm developing this weird habit where I keep putting uh, guitar picks in my mouth. I see. Mm. Yeah. You do it. Is that common? Yeah, I do it. Is it? Do you do it? Yeah, I, but I don't do it while I'm speaking on podcasts. No. I'm, <laughs> ouch. Is, is that a slide at me? No. <laughs> I just hardly ever speak on podcasts. <laughs> Have you been in any podcasts before? Uh, I j- actually just did this past week for the first time. Yes. He told me that. Yeah. yeah. But, it was um, a three-hour podcast, right? Not Well, it took a long time to record, but it should only be an hour and a half, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. How was that experience? It was fun. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. People are like, because uh, I know some people that do three-hour podcast. I know. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, that's for me. Well, that's and crazy. How do people listen. Like, I, yeah. I figure after an hour that they'll get sick of talking right, to me. Right, and they're gonna turn it off. I mean, and most like <laughs> even if you have a long drive, like no one has three-hour drives like regularly. You have right. maybe an hour or forty-minute drives regularly, but that's true. That's know. very true. But it's great to have Bird and Willow, which uh, it is actually Shiloh and Jared. <laughs> uh, right? Yes. How did you come up with the name for Bird and Willow? Um, the name comes from our past. We were born in Willow Glen, um, and the streets where we grew up were Bird Avenue and Willow Street. So um, I I always just referred to Bird and Willow, like I grew up at Bird and Willow. And so then when we were thinking about a name and about um, reflecting who we were, uh, that's kind of what we landed on. Bird and Willow. So it's a, it's a cross section. Yeah, the street. it's cross yeah. streets. We also like the imagery that it evokes, and um, we just recently had an artist mm-hmm. put that put that into illustration for shirts and posters. So we're excited about yeah. getting that out there. And uh, how do this artist visualize that? Mm. Well, we uh, he actually tr- had a few different concepts um, based on our initial brainstorming session with him, and we talked to him about which one he, we wanted him to move forward on and then like how, how we wanted it to be sculpted a little bit so mm-hmm. um, so it's a willow tree and you can see the roots um, below yes. the ground as well <laughs> so it creates this sort of uh, asymmetrical circular effect and then there's a, a bird flying through the air below the willow branches. Pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah and I also do find that I write about birds a lot um, it's a, just a good imagery. Don't worry that's just Entries. the headphones. Yeah. yeah that's just the headphones but well, we should be good audio wise. Um, so you constantly write about birds. Well, not constantly, but I, I listened through some old demos of mine the other day too, and like talking about wings and talking about. Um, Where do you feel that comes from? Uh, I think the image of being able to fly and learning how to fly is really linked to feeling competent or feeling confident in life, and just feeling like you can. Um, do the things that are expected of you. I don't know. I think that's probably where it comes from for me. Well, because usually people would correlate birds with like trying to escape or trying to fly away, trying to travel. There's aspects of that too, I guess. But for you, you you say confidence. Uh, It's a different, that's that's an interesting interpretation of it. Uh, Is there a specific type of birds that you you tend to gravitate towards? Uh, No, just like sparrows and just like house birds, not like flashy birds no. <laughs> just your like regular vultures birds. or something like that no or, or like uh, uh, do flying squirrels That's count as birds? Like <laughs> it's funny because I I wrote a song once that talks about an owl oh yeah and I I used the owl to uh, ask this question of who who am I um, because an owl says who you know <laughs> oh I, for a second I thought you were going with it it's your spirit animal but it's like no that's because the owl says who yeah and it was an experience I was having at, at the our parents house that we, where we both both used to live and 
mm-hmm. I was going out into nature and trying to um, figure out my place in the universe a little bit. So I think those, I think those, uh, the broader imagery of nature I mentioned, she mm-hmm. talks about trees as well. Yeah. Um, is, is like just part of our language and our experience. Yeah, for sure. And you guys, uh, okay, so you guys were raised in Willow Glen. Yeah. Which right. is an interesting area of San Jose. Actually, some would say, some people from Willow Glen wouldn't even say they're part of San Jose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause you guys have the, your own thing going on and it's really yeah. nice. Uh, it's kind of you know small town suburbia in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, without you know the the loneliness of the outskirts. Uh, yeah. So, but since how would you describe being raised in that area, and how do you think uh, certain elements in that area influence your work? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, so my my initial thought in response to that is that we we lived there for the first ten years of my life, and then we moved somewhere very very contrasting. So. Um, again, we were born and raised in Willow Glen, but then we moved up into the foothills above Cupertino. So back like in the Santa Cruz Mountains, we lived on 260 acres. So we went from that suburbia to living out on an orchard in the mountains. So Was um, it hard to adjust? Um, a little bit, but it was really fun being a teenager and preteen in that area. But I, th- I think the difference is that when we were younger and when we were living in Willow Glen, we would, you know, we'd walk places. We'd walk across the street to the burrito store and uh, uh, walk down to the Willow Glen As library. We call it, by the way, the burrito store. We call it the store. burrito store. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it had a fancy name, but, you know, not not to a six-year-old. <laughs> I just wanted my, my burrito, my bean and cheese burrito. Yeah. So... Um, and yeah, and walking to the library and you'd ride your bike to, you know, music lessons. And it was just, um, you felt close to everything and it was also just felt very safe. So, Well, and what work are your parents into? Um, our dad is a semiconductor engineer and does Classic design. Classic, Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Silicon cool. Silicon Valley. And uh, my mom raised all of her children for many years, but she got her degree in nutrition and she's also always been very active and currently does like lifeguarding and um, lots of uh, works at the Y doing that kind Did of Did any of them try to uh, influence you guys at a young age to oh, get into music? Sure. You can talk about that. <laughs> oh, Wait, yeah. On, before we get there, what's the age disparity here? I So I'll jump back a little bit yeah, and, and, and answer that question at the same Good. time. My first thought when you asked about um, the Willow Glen area was, was to think about what age we were when we moved mm-hmm. um, up to Cupertino and... And yeah, sh- you were about 10. Right? I turned 11 like two days after we moved, which was probably like the most anticlimactic <laughs> birthday I ever had. It was January 2015, right? So I was yeah. I was uh, a couple months older than 14. So 2005, you mean. <laughs> January 2005. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think for both of us, uh, the, the Bird and Willow house was uh, definitely a childhood home and probably even more so for Shiloh. And I think... Um, there's various things about that that maybe come into our music or who we are. I think there's um, sort of uh, a, nostal- a nostalgia around childhood, and also this like mm-hmm. veiled perception of what that was like. And right. <laughs> and it's a it's a very mixed thing with a lot of different emotions that go into it. Um, a lot of good things from our parents and family, and some and not so much. So um, and then I think really when we moved. And um, grew up into our teenage years is when we started figuring out who we were and mm-hmm. um, writing our music together. So that was my comment on that. But yeah, a little over four years is our age disparity. <laughs> uh, no, just a little under four years. 
A little under four years. Right? Yeah. Yes. But 90 to 94. A little over three is what I mean to say. Yes. Yeah, Because I'm born at the end of 90. You're born at the beginning of 94. Yeah. 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 Long answer. That's okay. Do you guys get each other for not remembering the ages? Because I feel, yeah. sometimes I feel bad admitting this, but I forget sometimes my own siblings' uh, uh, age ages. Yeah, I, I always kept track of it when I was young because I didn't have anything better to keep track of. But um, now that we're all adults, it's like, oh, 27, 29, I don't know. It's all the same. <laughs> right, but, um, right. Like the other day, my, my brother, he's like 21 now, but in my head, he's still a kid. Yeah. So like, oh yeah, my, my brother, I think he's like 19. Yeah, right. So he's like, no, I'm, dude, I'm 21. What's wrong with you? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh shit. There's a little bit more of a gap between us than me and my older brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Shiloh always sort of uh, had that, that affected her life in a certain way in the sense that she like stepped up into mm-hmm. some older roles um, sooner. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Wait, so there's more of you out there. Oh, like uh, yeah. How, how many siblings do you have? There's there's nine kids in our family. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's more than that's like two bands. I yes. know. <laughs> two yeah. bands. We're we're third and fourth of nine. Yeah. So six. I have six brothers, and two sisters. Two. Wow. How was yeah. it living in that dynamic? Uh it was. I mean, people ask. And my, my my best answer is that it's all I knew. You know, it was my reality. So it was, um, it didn't feel super crazy to me when I was growing up. Um, I was six years old before I had any sisters and I had five brothers at that point. So I was kind of used to being just like, you know, I was the girl. <laughs> she grew up with the boys um, for sure. And yeah. that was never negative for me. It was, I didn't have all those experiences of brothers, like, you know, picking on me or anything like that. Um, so... It was pretty great, actually, just having a bunch of a bunch of brothers, um, and then yeah, some sisters came along about um, when I was six to nine ish. Um, so now I'm at the age where they're old enough to be, you know, friends to me because now, you know, we're all past the the childhood years. So that's kind of cool. But um, when you have so many, you span so many ages that it's everyone's always in different stages and so that creates an interesting dynamic but also it allowed us to take care of each other you know so yeah that's that's good you got your own entourage thing Mm -hmm. yes how about you as a male like having so many brothers around where you fit in in that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i definitely i definitely like grew up with my two older brothers and it was pretty significant for me when they both left for college the same year because uh, my oldest right. brother Adam did community college locally for a couple of years, and then he moved to the East Bay to go to UC Berkeley, and my other brother Brady went to the East Coast to go to a private school over there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're we're boys. We like to play outside and carve sticks and make forts, <laughs> and uh, we're competitive. Like I, I think Brady was always the best at sports and. Adam was always the smartest, and <laughs> I was the tallest. <laughs> That's what my mom would say about That's us. True. Um, and yeah, I don't know those things it mostly. And I guess the other thing I was going to say about all the siblings, as they as they would say, it was never, never very quiet. But um, I, I was also the loud one. <laughs> I would often be told that. Um, I was the only voice that could be heard in the other room <laughs> with all the kids or all my friends. So that's interesting uh, because you, in some ways you come you come off a bit reserved, 
To me, at least. Yeah. Or, or I, I, think I've I think I've compensated for that yeah. over the years. But as you get to know me, I yeah. and I get into yeah. my sweet spot. I am yeah. very talkative. <laughs> <laughs> now, were all your, or is it just YouTube that like? Okay, I don't know how to even formulate this question Musically? properly. Yes. Oh, you're you really asking. Asked you're asking about music. About yeah. like the influences. Yeah. Well, so I mean, we all have musical uh, um, elements to us. I think. It's <laughs> 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 a way to say it. What was your question, though? You can. No, like I was gonna ask, like, uh, do your siblings also play music? Yeah. So again, both my older brothers um, took piano lessons uh, from from a decently young age, and were mm -hmm. classically trained on piano for um, for many years. And my earliest memories were were going on a walk with my mom while they did piano lessons, and then it was sort of like my turn to start music lessons, and I wanted to do something different than the piano. I also wanted to have an instrument that I could like put in the car and bring Summer with me. <laughs> yeah. So my, my two ideas about that at, at about 10 years old were um, the banjo or the violin. <laughs> <laughs> so I thankfully chose the violin and my parents got me a violin and I started lessons on that. And then um, our dad was a jazz guitarist for, mm -hmm. for years and um, also and picked bass. up the bass and played in a church band and whatnot. And so he had those instruments around and I just sort of picked those up and started picking his brain and learning things from him and from books and um and all's also just incredibly naturally talented just gets it <laughs> it did come somewhat naturally to me and then i was able to sort of make connections and see how the music worked the same on the violin and on the guitar and on the piano mm -hmm. and and build a uh, like a wider understanding um, i learned some piano from my brother as well and then um yeah i mean we all i guess we sort of had a culture of like singing in our yeah, family always had music on and, and Shiloh always had a knack for that and um eventually I like showed her how chords work on both the piano and guitar I guess piano we did first yeah or, or so yeah I mean so first. my past is that I didn't take music lessons um for whatever reason I you know sometimes think oh like I wonder what it would be like if I'd taken piano um but I ended up doing dance instead I danced for six seven years and then um during high school we did other things like forensics comp competitive debate and stuff like that so I never took formal lessons but I do remember um singing a lot I would sing along with the radio I remember when I discovered like that I could listen to music on my own on the radio and I'd sing uh -huh. along and I'd trial and error I'd figure out how to sing harmonies it just kind of that was my my tendency um and so I figured out how to navigate the music in that way just with my voice um and then one time when my brother, when Jared was away at camp, he um, came home and I was like, Jared, I wrote a song. So I played it for him on the piano and I had no idea what I was doing. I had, I remember I just went out and was playing on the piano, um, just like looking for notes that sounded right. Like the note that I wanted to hear next, I just <laughs> messed around until I found it. And so I, I ended up writing a song called Silhouette, my first song. I think I still have the words. Silhouette. How yeah. old are you? Um, and so I think at that point I was probably 14, 15. I don't know, yeah. something like that. So then, yeah, I showed him my song and he was or mad at me. Maybe. He was mad. <laughs> <laughs> he's like... I was going to say, this is the first time I've heard this story this really? way, by the well, way. Yeah. He was like, you don't even know what you're doing. Like, you didn't even know that that, that chord was supposed to lead into the other chord. But like, that, those are leading tones. And I was just like, okay, whatever you say. That's an older brother thing to do. Yeah, well, because yeah. he did. He had some bases in music theory. Yeah, yeah. And there are real things about how there are notes in an octave that tend to lead into each other, which I still don't fully understand, but he began to show me what 
um, what the way chords worked essentially on the piano. And instead of you know taking it a very like piano lesson style where you're looking at a music notes and you're trying to figure out how to play them, it was it was very broad. Um, like bird's eye view of music about how okay this is an octave and here's how the chords go in the octave and you can kind of do that anywhere on the piano and um and so that it kind of clicked just the very basics of how chords worked um and then yeah and then um he also played guitar at that point so I learned how to play the chords in the key of G and that was kind of then I had tools on both instruments and so. then it became our hit single <laughs> yes <laughs> she was just she under was, some alterations and she was going she was going yeah well yes the no yeah literally so one of our songs um that's from the record called um what you do to me um has been featured on k fog's acoustic sunrise um thank you to wow. the hosts there um but that song i literally wrote it because i was just practicing switching between two chords i, I said i'm gonna switch between g and c until it feels comfortable <laughs> um but then eventually through a couple other chords in there and wrote that song so um that was one of the first ones i wrote on guitar all right now i want to hear the other side of the story from your yeah. perspective <laughs> she, she, you, oh, you the silhouette story yeah, yeah. that's it's it's <laughs> funny that you said i was mad about it it's probably there's probably part of that that's true um i didn't i didn't remember specifically getting home from camp to that song i remember that song as the first one she wrote yeah. and that i was like wow you, you can just do this <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that's I mean that's the story of our yeah. band in a lot of ways. Yes, Shiloh just sort of coming up with stuff and and she said she talked about leading tones and that she doesn't fully understand them and I was gonna say well she understands them but in a different way than me, mm -hmm. um, a, maybe a less formal and just more intuitive way. Um, and then I get to I get to help craft the songs from there, so it's fun. Now it seems like uh, in your family it was a rite of passage to take music lessons, mm -hmm. right? Because eventually you said some people will get into that age where it's like, oh, you got to take some kind of musical uh, A little bit, yeah. Now, was that... To a, a certain point. <laughs> was that a, like, conscious de decision by your parents? Or was it more like, we got to keep these kids busy doing something? <laughs> I, I think it was a little more, like, uh, go with the flow and figure out at different times what made sense for the different kids. Well, and also, yeah, so picture when my oldest siblings are, you know, eight, nine. There's not nine kids at that point. There's maybe four kids. Right. So I, I think that um, they, I mean, my oldest siblings, they, they did a little sports, they did a little music, and um, that carried forward through. But I think um, as more children were getting to that age it was it was more about okay what specifically do you want to do so maybe some people preferred sports and then they ended yeah. up just doing sports so it's not that we all took music lessons it wasn't like your parents were like all right we're gonna make no. like, these, these brilliant musicians it was very much these, go with the these flow. kids <laughs> right, let's go with, it's like all right mm -hmm. we gotta keep these kids busy doing something yeah and yeah, we yeah. naturally would we would naturally seek out the things that inspired us and um, so yeah, like the brother below me started playing drums, but he didn't necessarily take drum lessons, but that was just a thing that, that ended up happening. And then um, our brother Joshua did take, uh, he did start taking cello and he still um, takes cello lessons and is very accomplished with that and plays with our band as well. So um, it's just been different for every kid. Yeah. Now with that many musical heads in one household, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> what kind of music would define your childhood? And that, that kind of defines your sound now. 
Oh, well. Like, your dad being a jazz musician, I'm sure yeah. you guys must have some jazz around, Dave right? Dave Brubeck. It, it's true, yeah. <laughs> Dave Brubeck. I just got a record of his. <laughs> Angel Eyes. I fucking love it. Having my, over here that's in my room. That's good stuff, yeah. Yeah, Dave Brubeck. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, that's true. In that sense, we had it, we did have a wide variety of influences because we had the music that our parents played and um, yeah. brought into our lives and then. Um, and then we had the music that we started to discover once yeah. we were like at that age. Again, I started listening to the radio, so I I can't deny the fact that uh, K Bay <laughs> K Bay was hugely influential to me. So lots of soft rock from the '90s, which I didn't necessarily consciously take in. But I've had so many people tell me I sound like the Cranberries when I sing, which is oh. really random. And then there's this, this other song. Well, yes. thank you. There was this other song that a friend listened to and was like, "Oh, I like your '90s chords." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I guess I guess I am influenced by the '90s." So like, what does uh, that mean? Sister Hazel. <laughs> we listened to a lot of Sister Hazel and um, who else from the '90s? Like Train. And uh, my mom loved Train and, like, James Taylor and that kind of... Yeah. Those were all kind of constant voices in... Yeah, some of the other stuff my dad listened to, he, he would listen to jazz, traditional, and also, like, jazz rock fusion um, and, like, uh, progressive rock, the classic stuff from the 70s, like, Yes. And um, there was another band that I loved called Gentle Giant. Mm. And um, there was a guy in that band who played violin and bass, and I thought that was the coolest thing <laughs> ever. Um, and then How about like a, another band that was like a C- CDs that I would take up into my room and like play on my CD player was a band called the Dixie Drakes that my dad listened to and they're an instrumental band um, like virtuoso guitarist and um, I guess I guess pretty straight ahead of rock but with some jazz influence and country influence so yeah mm-hmm. a lot of different stuff and yeah James Taylor and I, I know my parents first date actually was a Joni Mitchell concert. Oh, true. Um, and ah. I, I remember getting just uh, in the last couple of years, like starting to listen to some of her music, and then then I found out that oh, they they grew up listening to her too, and went to her show. So a lot of those folk artists from the '70s again, like James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, um, so and all those people they hung out with. I think uh-huh. yeah. Sorry, are inspiring to me. I, I just I'm interested now. So your parents met at a Joni Mitchell concert. Well, that's that was their first date. That's not where they met, but. What's the story behind that? I don't know, actually, but what did they it was mean? my dad's choice. I mean, what I, were they doing in the 70s? <laughs> they were listening to music. I mean, I know they met They met music. in church choir, actually. Yeah, church my band. dad My dad played uh, guitar for my mom's like middle school church choir, I think. So, yeah. And then they... Did music they to, from the beginning. Did they go to the same high school? No. Yeah. yeah, but I think, I mean, yeah, they going to concerts has been like a thing they do f- for... Are all, they, are and they still do. I mean, from they, here? Yeah, well, East Bay. East Bay, yeah. East Bay. Richmond, El Cerrito area. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Now, did you guys play for the church uh, group as well mm-hmm. growing up? Yeah, yeah, that was one of, like, my first chances to like lead a play band. in a band setting and lead a band. I, you led the band. Yeah. How was in, that experience? In, in high school. Um, it was great. I think uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was... It taught me a lot for sure. It was funny because I, I was a freshman and like so I moved up into high school youth group at church and, um. I one of the leaders like knew that I played music and so he said like why don't you come join the band, and I like showed up at my first practice playing guitar and I was like instantly telling everyone how the song <laughs> should go. <laughs> It's too, just natural. Too big for my <laughs> yeah. britches. A natural leader. Yeah. And then, yeah. and so I, I mean, like I said, we had sort of a culture of singing and I never thought of myself as a singer, but 
once it like came the opportunity to be the 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 lead singer, I um I just definitely went for it and did it. Mm. Yeah. Now, Bird and Willow, I listened to your EP. It's a great EP. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I, I dig it. Um, now, again, I'm interested because you guys have gone through a variety of genres, mm-hmm. a variety of artists. How do you guys came to the conclusion of that distinct Bird and Willow uh, sound in, in your album? Mm. <laughs> How would you describe the Bird and Willow sound? <laughs> Can I put a question back at you? Yeah, it has like that, that indie sound to it. And mm. It has like very soothing uh, harmonies and melodies and stuff like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's like it sounds simple, but at the same time, once you dig in, you got some complex ha- things happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because I was in, I was backstage at our last show, and I heard the drummer for another band, I won't say who, <laughs> <laughs> talking about Burn Willow, and I don't think he like realized that I was in the room or that I was in Burn Willow or something, and. Someone was saying something about having wine, and he was like, "Oh yeah, wine. Like Burden Will is kind of like w- like wine drinking music. <laughs> <laughs> or wine drinking music." And then he said, "Yeah, have you heard them? It's like, it's good stuff. I I I, I dig it." Oh, I didn't know <laughs> that story. You didn't tell me. No, because um, again, you you guys could have easily taken it a jazz turn, yeah. or you guys could have taken a a variety of turns. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Well, why that? that specific indie sound so i mean it does it did start very simple like i said again it was me just trying to figure out how to play guitar and um for me i think playing guitar up until this point in my life um has always been a means for me to sing and say things and so for me i'm very lyric driven and a lot of my writing is is just a vehicle for saying something and a vehicle for being able to sing a melody and um so i i write a lot i write a lot of of words and some of them we end up keeping some of them we don't but so these songs basically that are on the record we we'd played together for a long enough time that we felt pretty comfortable with where they were at and we just decided we wanted to record them and this was long before we um even knew we were going to be bird and willow or what we were going to do with the music um we just had a friend who was willing to work with us and um, record and so we just started simple and we um we practiced a bit with our friends brian and kevin balco and um just it was acoustic and bass and drums and uh it grew from there and so then we we laid those down and building the rest of the sound out was a long process it took us two years to finish the ep um so jared like he mentioned is classically trained on violin and viola he got his degree in viola performance and so um one of the things i really knew i wanted on the album was strings there was one song in particular where i'd been playing it in a in a parking garage just by myself one time and I got a little voice memo of it and I would I would listen back to the voice memo and the way that the guitar was resonating in the room the natural reverb um I could hear a cello just in the tones of the guitar and I showed Jared I said do you hear that like do you hear that melody that's totally a cello and I want that to be a cello and you <laughs> know a, our brother played cello and I was like, like we, we know gotta a make cello this happen I, exactly exactly and so he actually um he wrote that all out and he ended up orchestrating full full pieces for each of those songs so that was the first thing I knew I wanted as part of our sound um yeah I would say there's a few different things that come into it um yeah, one thing is being inspired by um, like like current indie folk musicians, I guess, yeah, um, that they're presenting uh, really simple songs in a way that um, that speak in a big way. And Shiloh's Shiloh's knack is for 
um, for melody and harmony. And then it's also it sort of grows out of the tools that we use and are most comfortable with. I mean, we mostly write on acoustic guitars, and so mm -hmm. that like um, that creates a certain vibe. And then I think I like to bring a little bit of rock into it. I think you hear that in the song that I sing lead on on the EP, and also um, in in a guitar solo on another song. So yeah, it's a it's a blend of a blend of those things for sure mm. um, but but I think a lot of it yeah it grows out of the different songs that we write and those just are what they are and we sort of try and figure out what does this song want like with what you do to me it was natural to do the string thing and then I just blew it up into a big full orchestration mm -hmm. um, and then with Place to Land we focused on the vocal harmonies um, yeah. and it, we ended up with that one just doing a live take of acoustic guitar and four voices all at once mm -hmm. and then um, our producer put a little box drum on it at the end of um, at the end it. of mixing it and that's the song on the record and we love it that way and then and then it's also morphed from there and we now do sort of a more like up-tempo bluegrass thing at the end when we play it live at shows so mm. it all grows out of I think the song yeah now at what point was the moment where you guys decided to collaborate with each other because I have a hard time collaborating with my siblings. Mm -hmm. So at what point were you guys like, hey, we got something here? Um, like I said, it was before we started recording, um, before we were Bird and Willow. We've always played together. And like I said, I wrote that song. My very first inclination is, oh, I got to show Jared because he, he kind of knows what he's doing and um, also appreciates what I'm doing and cares about it. So I think that it's partly just because of um, an alignment of what inspires us in our passion and wanting to be involved with music in a bigger way than just being like a listener or um, or that. And then also just the fact that we offer such um, different but um, what's the word um, compatible things like like he said, I, I write a lot of words, I write a lot of melodies, um, but that's not necessarily enough to to make a whole album and he can see a whole song and he can direct a band and he can mm. um, add in all of those things to flesh it out and so it, it's kind of like one without the other doesn't really <laughs> right. doesn't really fly so yeah. so it's yeah I'm thinking of different little landmarks in terms of time yeah. in the story but it, yeah it was like it was yeah. natural that we I worked together in the sense that when did we I, agree to record I showed Shadow a lot of stuff on instruments like we we talked about and she would show me songs, and I'd say, we could do with this with the song. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for the most part, was it found supportive? Or, or were they like, oh, there they go oh, yeah. again. <laughs> of course. Pulling out the instruments. <laughs> what you need here, kids? No, my mom would always ask, get out of the guitar, play a song. Yes, yeah, <laughs> supportive, for yeah. sure. That's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think, you, you, yeah, you were asking about recording. This might be a story that you haven't heard from this perspective oh. either. But... Um, I got married in 2014. <laughs> I didn't hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't <laughs> no, know. I, I knew that. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Jorge didn't Congrats. Know that. Cool. Thank you. Um, Still together, I hope. Mm -hmm. Yes. Good. <laughs> it's, only, it's only been a year or two years? Two years. Two yeah. and a half. Yeah. How long have you guys known each other before getting married? A uh, year and a half. Yeah. Oh, wow. You yeah. just jumped right into it. Pretty fast. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's, that's fucking love. All right. For these days, yeah. So you got married. Yes, and I think there had been, like, we had these songs, we sang our songs together, we sang at open mics, and um, it was just always sort of this latent dream and almost like a, a joke that we would banter about of, like, you want to actually have a band? Let's make a CD. And we, and we actually got to be in a band together, um, stepping back a little farther, we mm -hmm. were in oh, a band yeah. called Troubadour, 
um, with um, with Rob Ernst, who now is was our producer, um, and some other guys in the local scene. And so that got uh, got Shiloh an opportunity to sing a little bit more, and I played violin in that band. And then she also sang um, in the youth group band as well. Mm-hmm. So anyways, when I got married and was joining my life to uh, my wife, I was like, I think it would be meaningful to Shiloh to actually get these songs recorded and like get serious about this band thing so that that was kind of um that was kind of my thought about that and so we we did that like in the month after I got married and like Shiloh said we didn't we didn't have a band name at that point we just were like let's make a record and let's start there um and then it was within the next year and a half process of working on that record that we gave ourselves a name and started playing live shows. Now, wh- why did it take you getting married to come to the Cancun? <laughs> <laughs> it, that's, it, it's a bit coincidental, but I think there's a real thing in the sense that... Um, I mean, we, yeah, we've grown up together and... Brother was moving on to his new life and I also wanted to show, show Shiloh that our thing that we had with music was still super important and I wanted to be serious about it. Wow. I appreciate yeah. that. Who 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 is who is the uh, the wedding band? Who, who the Oh, the wedding band. Yeah. <laughs> was it yeah. was it all your siblings? Well, actually, Shiloh one. and I oh, yeah. made an appearance um, together. <laughs> oh, uh, that was fun. We sang a song that I um, I knew my wife would like and has some good harmonies in it. It's the Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift song. Mm. Um, I just want to know you better. I think it's yeah. called. So, um, Shiloh was in the wedding too, and um, yeah. Now, Jared, when you are composing a song, when you're putting a song together, mm-hmm. how do you approach it? Do you approach mm-hmm. it geographically? Like, 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 does it come to you naturally, or do you have to like lay out certain maps in your mind when it comes to hmm. different instruments and their sounds? Some of both. I have different moments, and I can never sort of predict when it happens. Sometimes <laughs> I'm falling asleep, and I'm hearing one of our songs in my head, and <laughs> I start hearing more guitar parts, and a tambourine and um, that happened recently um, but yeah like with what you do to me it started with the cello line and um, and then I sort of mapped out the rest and, and decided well I want multiple strings to like lay down this pad and make this full texture and I, I know how to write that out in terms of the chords so um, but a lot of times yeah it's spending time with the song and I have like the seed of the song the, the, the chords and the melody and then I just start to hear the rest of the band in my head a lot of times. Mm. And um, then then just all I have to do is have musicians to make that a reality. Mm. Is there a way you approach to that? Because um, you, you said the story where you went to church and straight off the bat you started telling them how to play the song. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> how do you communicate with someone to get a certain sound out of them? So I think this is rather difficult. Mm, yeah, like yeah so, and I just realized, as I said, the last thing I said, that it's a little bit oversimplified because it's not like I have the entire part figured out in my head. But I do have an overall sound. Like with my song, Time Slips By, I I knew the, like, the rhythmic groove I wanted and how that would sound on the drums. And then I started to hear this bass line, which is pretty prominent in the song. Um, and so then when we, we got our friend to play bass and the other friend to play drums they kind of have I, to extend that logic and apply it to the rest right, of the right I say like this is my idea about the bass line um, but they're the bassist take so. it and like <laughs> yeah. sort of sort of roll with it and he'd say okay well I think in the verse I want to move it up an octave to like 
make some more room for the vocals and to like bring more punch when we get back to the chorus. So it's an interactive and collaborative process for and sure. And trust. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, you, you, so you trust the musicians you work with, right? You're like, yeah, I, I know you're gonna do something great. Just take this with you and come mm -hmm. back to me in a week or something like that. Is that how it works? Uh, it's, I think it's real a little time. more real time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a conversation and a dialogue as it happens. I mean, the other night we were practicing with, um, uh, a drummer who did our last show, Chris Pounders of Love, Di Love District, and he's going to play our next show with us as well. And we're playing a song that, with him that we haven't played with him, played with before. We haven't played it with a band at all. We haven't played it with a full drum kit at all. So yeah. it's like it's a discovery. It's always the first of, time. When I saw you guys at the Forager, I thought I, I saw someone in Cajon. Yeah, we've done Cajon with a lot of songs. Oh, we've done like a full-on drum kit. Mm -hmm. oh, yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Some interesting. songs we've only done with Cajon, and it's a little. It's a little bit different with the full kit because there's the groove is there, but there's more options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can go a little different ways. Yeah. Now for vocals, Shiloh. Yeah. Uh, you said that you did not take music lessons. I did not. You did I, not take singing lessons. I was in a choir. I was in a couple choirs. So I was in a choir um, that was through like a a local school, um, and that wasn't one-on-one -on -one lessons. But we did, you know, I, I think that we learned a lot of ways to breathe and ways to, to warm up or project. Um, and I was also in a children's choir earlier in my life, too. So I've always had some sort of group singing um, in my life to shape that. But, yeah, no formal yeah. lessons. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how breathing is a big deal in singing. Gosh. That's something I'm trying to I, I want lessons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I have a lot more to learn. You don't, well, you don't sound like you need lessons, first of all. <laughs> yeah. But, but you, there's always room for improvement for everyone, for of sure. course. For sure, yeah. Uh, but were, are there any exercises or methods that you, you picked up on the way? Mm, no, not necessarily. I mean, again, I mean, breathing is, breathing is huge and being able to sing from your diaphragm, you know, and standing up is obviously always better, best practice for singing. But there are songs where I've written a melody that like, when it comes down to it, it's just uh, not as feasible for me to sing live or it just doesn't sound consistently good. And in that situation, like... Yes, I, I practice and I push myself to learn that, but I have uh, changed melodies too, just or changed the key, just so that um, it it makes sense uh, for me to sing it. Because there's, I mean, getting better is important, but also like be realistic and do something that you're confident with. Um, confidence is a big part about singing. Confidence is huge, yeah. Because yeah. mm -hmm. um, if you if you feel like you're sounding good, then you're gonna sing better. That's what I've experienced. Like, and that even is true about like your sound system. If your sound guy is really good and is making the room sound good, um, it's motivating. And then I think I sing sing better in that situation. But yeah, also just making the song feasible. Um, that's not to say that I don't push myself on on some songs, but um, mm. yeah. Think just we had a song practice. that wasn't <clears throat> coming out quite right in the studio vocally for Shiloh. Yeah, just and, and that right. was her own her own reflection on it. And it like, I just what we ended up doing is modifying the chorus melody a little mm -hmm. bit so it just sat more comfortably in her range. And now live, we actually out. do a com combination of the mm -hmm. old melody and the new melody oh, because yeah, I mean, she's she's gotten more comfortable, and we like parts about both of them, and so it like plays into the flow of the song. Mm -hmm. We recorded the vocals on the EP over two years ago probably almost three years ago at this point mm. and so i even know that i've grown a lot since then and so i can do more now than i could then yeah, so yeah it's, it's funny. just time to the other day i was in downtown san jose and some guy we're talking about music 
Uh, I was gonna play it for Scotty. Yeah. Uh, and they, and he's like, yeah, man, I seen you like a year ago. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I was so awful a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Let me play something for you now to Let prove that I'm better. Yeah. But you know, it's hard to really look at your you know recorded past. And mm-hmm. be, do you find that difficult? Like, yeah. like oh, I could I could have changed something there. I could have made something better. Yeah. You're you're always you always can you can see the room for improvement. But there's also just no point in beating yourself up about it. And I'm a huge believer in not apologizing for anything, you know. Not don't apologize for your performance. Don't apologize for what you've made. Um because it's yeah. it's something you made. So just fine, right? own it. You're telling me this now, <laughs> I just noticed you have a chopstick in your in your hair. I, I do have a chopstick. Do not in my apologize hair. Oh, it's for falling. that. <laughs> Definitely. No, no, no but keep it on. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, That's really cool. You, you had Chinese food on the way over here? No, it's just my trick. It's my. It's on brand. Oh, we're chopsticks. So I will also. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I agree. Uh, I wrote this little song, um, which was not about singing or anything, but it's just this one minute song. We should do a cover I called of chopsticks it. Live. I. <laughs> I called it "Regret Is Stupid," um, mm. because uh, I wrote in the song, "As much as I believe regret is useless." And everything you do becomes a part of who you are, um, and and I mean that just that concept is just part of my reality. I think that it, you, whatever has happened to get you where you are today, it just it's the way that things are, and you can't change it. And so there's really no point in wasting your energy wishing it had been different. Um, you just have to figure out how to move forward the best way. So I mean, apply that to music, and like this is what we made. This was our first record. We're we're happy with the way that it came out. Will the next record hopefully be better? Yeah, I think that we've learned a lot and we're going to do things differently. Um, but that doesn't mean I wish that the other record was different. Hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I had a question that just flew by me right now. Yeah. But uh, do you see yourself as... You're, if you're, you're thinking about your next record, right? <laughs> do you see yourself like uh, an evolution in the sound? Yeah, for sure. Or do you think you'll, you'll stick around with a certain indie folk uh, sound I think there's both. I think, I mean, I with uh, my perception of when a, a band I love comes out with a new record is there's a sense in that I want it to sound enough the same but enough different as well. I want to hear that they're like growing and trying to figure out what what sound they're making, but that they also are are still the band they are. Um, I think there's an essence to, for instance, the way that I write songs and words and melodies and all that that's not going to change I mean um, we do have a lot of new songs at this point and a lot of them are consistent with the sound in that sense at, at, at their core but as far as building the songs out I think it's more that we're just going to to add a lot more I think we have a lot right. more right I think there there can be like sort of an expansion of the palette expansion, in the sense yeah. like the the core material is going to be very consistent and sound like Bird and Willow um, and then there just might be like a wider array of decorative <laughs> elements that, that go into those. I think like w- w- the song that I, w- I was referring to earlier that we were working on with a, a drummer is like has a chance to be one of our more like anthematic, like big mm-hmm. rock songs. Um, and it could it could go like a little farther in that direction than mm-hmm. we've gone before, but it still like comes from a similar consistent place. Yeah, and you say indie folk, and and that is accurate, I think, for our sound. But when people ask, I I try and say folk rock because I, that folk element is still there. Um, but there, the more we grow and the more we get comfortable with what we're doing, um, those rock elements I think come more and more naturally to us as well. So. Yeah. Now we talked about uh, music structure, 
about you know the the different language when it comes to mm-hmm. developing a song. Now, how do you guys approach the emotional factor? Because I think that's very important. You know, it's like oh, yeah. you, you made a great song, but why do you give a fuck about the song? You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and so how do you approach that? I I kind of am an open book in some ways. I think there's a lot of really emotional things that I'll write about, and some one way that I'm able to like cope with that is by using imagery rather than just straight up narrative or uh, just like factual statements. Um, a lot of times I'll I'll take an experience and I'll draw from it um, something bigger, and then I'll write about that bigger thing. Um, and to me, it's still super personal, um, but it also is broader in the sense that I think I want my songs to be relatable. I want people to to feel like they have, have gone through that or can relate to the feeling. Um, but yeah, I think that they all come from emotional places for me. And um, when I write, it's usually because, yeah, because a, an event has happened that makes me feel a certain way. Mm. Um, whether that's, yeah, friendship or family or love or uh, just feeling the feelings of growing up. Uh, being in community, all those things uh, stir up a lot of real. Jared, were you ever stuff. like, "Oh, that song's about me"? Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was gonna say there are a lot of shared experiences, or at least like that close experiences that I've been able to like observe. And then Shiloh shows me the song she's starting to write, and um, I think there's there's usually a moment where I just know that that like is clicking with me that mm-hmm. that I can feel that emotion um both musically and um and lyrically and that it that it speaks to me and so then then like we're moving forward that there's that a shared energy around yeah, it yeah 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 now you're not the lead singer necessarily but you do some singing yeah right uh how, how do you <laughs> uh go about singing like do do you take lessons from her or do you kinda, <laughs> or, 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 or do you kind of uh, do your own thing um that's funny i think usually i'm just figuring out uh, a complimentary part to shiloh's i mean that's the simplest way i can say it um i yeah i with my singing i've just like i said i never thought about thought about myself as a singer but just started to do it more and more and i've tried to listen to myself critically and just sound better as much as I can. <laughs> sound better. Um, and again, yeah, it's what does the song call for? I mean, there's there's one song that is sort of in the writing stage for us that I don't sing very much on, and I don't know that it needs it. Um, and then sometimes um, a two-part harmony is like through most of the song because it really just mm-hmm. is natural and, and makes the song work. So I think that's that's my general approach. But it's funny... Um, when Shiloh does something different than like <laughs> what what we've usually done, like my my normal melody, if I just go off on a tangent, <laughs> which I want her to be happens. able to do to like express herself in the moment, you know, um, I can't necessarily adjust to that right away. So that's always an interesting and fun process. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's part of jazz, right? You, you got a basic structure, not basic, mm-hmm. but you got structure, but you mm-hmm. got to learn how to improvise as you go, right? Yeah. Yes, and I love I love that concept. It's like. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, you have to you have to really be present to the moment and also have a have a really strong like familiarity with the core melody like in a jazz sense you're always 
sort of playing around the mm-hmm. melody in a sense and then and then that trust and willingness to go different places at different times mm. now how is it um performing these songs live mm. like do you guys feel you guys were comfortable off the bat or just <laughs> something you guys had to ease into no or? i mean every show is <laughs> new and every show i feel like we figure out one more element and are able to get better um i mean it feels like every time we've we've played a big show it's been like oh my gosh that was the best show yet um just personally because each time as we work on it more i mean there's a gratification to working on something and then seeing the result of that for sure there's no shortcuts to being good (laughs) and that's something that i'm having to teach myself i'm always looking for shortcuts but there's just you have to practice and so practicing with the band um especially for our first show this year um we played with sakura and love district at our boutique and um uh, really made a point to try and practice um, with the whole band. Yeah, what I realized in the process of practicing for that show is just the value of repetition. Like just that was pretty good. Times. Let's do it again right now. <laughs> and, and every every time you do it again with the band, it feels better. Mm-hmm. I mean, we started performing live before the EP was totally finished. We yeah. had started recording the songs and adding a lot of the elements, but. Um, but we played at the beginning of 2016 as Bird and Willow for the first time, and we were playing the EP songs and more that we still have yet to record. So mm-hmm. we, we've always been like bringing fresh material live and working it out with different band setups. Mm-hmm. We've had four different bass players play with us. <laughs> and um, Many different drummers. Yeah, a few different drummers. Um, and so we're, we're trying to like... Uh, hopefully settle into a, a few key people that really know our songs so we can get more consistent but it's also been fun to work with um, different people so. yeah. and I know for me again that repetition is so important and it's hard for me to get myself to do that when I'm by myself in my room just playing through a song I, I need that collaboration with the group and the energy that we all contribute to the pot you know uh, like okay we're all putting something in here and then we get something out so uh, for me practicing is that has that the best practice for me happens with the band right yeah now, do you feel that that's part of an element that you develop in your childhood being surrounded by by siblings all the time uh do you feel like that's something that plays into the way you, mm, you like practice self-motivation versus being in a group or like more like uh you know what i, I think i'm better off practicing with others around as opposed to being by myself that's I, a good question I yeah know. i mean i think it's i think it's part of our yeah, personality, not necessarily because of our family, but... Yeah, similar to the the way that we've naturally just always worked together. And so mm-hmm. um, that's why it's like, in essence, a duo project. But even, yeah, I mean, I even even like you said, playing with a band versus... like yeah. So sometimes we perform live as just a duo. Sometimes it's just us and our brother on cello and maybe a cajon. So we've had different formats for performing live. Um, but yeah, there's a way that having the whole band like helps us to step it up and really hammer things out now uh, i'm just curious because you guys are siblings you got siblings playing with you uh do you get is it easy for you guys to get in that professional mode when you're about to play live or do you guys bring like you know like he, he did that earlier today and fuck him and just, or is and that's kind of infuses itself into the music that you're playing in that song or are you guys like pretty professionals like yep yeah, we're well, doing this and- we just don't really fight I mean, <laughs> not not in that sense. It's not like oh, it's like, true, yeah. Um, so, well, so a couple things. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think I might tend to be like overly serious and a little bit too uptight sometimes. Um, I don't know how sh- how that comes off for Shiloh. <laughs> um, I don't like so. He's good at being professional. <laughs> I think part of what we're working on is trying to be uh, more natural more and just yeah. I don't know, like less business almost. Yeah, just more ourselves on stage, mm-hmm. and that's something I like about yeah, what we're doing right now. We're practicing just hanging out and talking yeah. and being ourselves. <laughs> um, and just as a little anecdote, I think maybe a potential low point for Burden Willow oh, gosh. was a show we yeah. played the night of the election, so it was a low point for a lot of things. The um, final results came in we, while we were on stage. We played in Oakland at, in Oakland. at the store club yeah. um, uh, venue where the bar ta- only takes cash, and um, the walls are covered with stickers. It was a fun little place, but yeah. it was an interesting show. And we also had a conversation on the way there that was probably the closest thing we have to like a fight. Yeah, or <laughs> it was real talk. Getting our feelings <laughs> out. Was it election related? No, no. no okay. It was band related. Oh, band related. It was it it. band, band and relationship personal. related. Yeah. yeah. So, so we did that and we had an interesting show and then, and then that found out that Donald Trump year. was the president of the United States. So, and then there was rioting on the streets. We so got was, out of Oakland as they were setting trash cans on fire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And how did you guys process that while playing, though? Well, like, yeah. And so then as far as performing after that, it was kind of like we just needed to just do it. I mean, that night was already so weird. Yeah. But. Right. Yeah. I think that was like a realization that we had gotten a little bit off track. Yeah. And so it wasn't that we could suddenly get back on the same page that night. So we just had to, like, push through it. And and the songs came out okay. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh, since then, it's been like, I think more of an awareness of how we need to be on the same page relationally with the vision of the band. Yeah. Um. And and in terms of like bringing it when we have a show. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. if it's if it's all just the professionalism, we're all just like, oh, we're just doing this business thing, and and you don't maintain anything outside of that. It is hard to to feel like you're in sync or. Yeah, like on track. So, mm. but there is there are dynamics there for sure. You tapped into something with that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you guys survive that night, like afterwards, with the riot going on? Jeez, oh, <laughs> did, did we get... drive together? We we drove yeah, together. Yeah, we drove together. We... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. There was one band that played after us, and they were particularly uh, sad about it. So they, I mean, for oh. I mean, in a, in a way, playing music like that's the best thing to be doing. Right. When when times right. are bad, so it was cathartic in that sense. Um, just being able to, we were we played a song that we like to cover um, called Happiness, and I was like, well, did we play that? Like yeah, that? we're gonna play this song called Happiness because we need a little bit of happiness right now, you know. And and there's there's a therapeutic aspect to that too. Yeah, so it was everyone was where they yeah. were at. We were where we were at, but it was like have a beer and yeah. enjoy some songs by the Mountain and the Moon. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but then, like, I was sort of on alert after the show because we just wanted to be safe and, yeah. like, get home. So it was like, okay, get the instruments in the car. My roommate was like, if anything happens, don't even play. Like, just uh, leave. <laughs> and, and, and two people at the venue had, like, yeah. warned us. Well, first we got there and the person at the door said, don't leave valuables in your car. Like, just not at all. People will break your window to, to get your stuff. And then it was the sound guy afterward who was cool because he, recorded a CD of everyone's set to like give us a recording of our set mm-hmm. uh, but he was finishing that up and we were also trying to leave and crossing the street back and forth so 
it was a little bit hectic, but yeah, that's crazy. But I'm glad you guys are here. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we made we're, it. We're reaching the end of this interview. Yeah. Uh, and uh, be, a little thing I do for musicians is, and there's two of you, so this should be interesting. Uh, I would like to. Uh, well, your main instrument is guitar. Mm-hmm. Is yours also a guitar? Mm-hmm. Sure. As of right in now, in the band, yeah, in the band, yeah. Well. Talk to me about the, the evolution of your guitars, from the first guitar you picked oh. up and what led up <laughs> in the series that, that ended too. up now. This is true. This is good. Um, okay, I'll be quick. So when I started playing... Okay, well... Well, true. I don't know. Jorge's in charge of that. Yeah. Okay. When I started playing guitar that first time when I was telling you about figuring out how to make chords work and writing that first song, I was playing my dad's acoustic electric Gibson, right? A Gibson? Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's um, and... That was just kind of the guitar Unplugged, we had around the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a snark back then. <laughs> um, but that was kind of the guitar that we had in the house. My dad also had an ovation that he had, um, but the action was super hard. That was just, it's a difficult guitar to play. So I didn't play that one very often. Um, but that was kind of it. And then I didn't, I wasn't super focused on playing guitar during that phase. We also had a keyboard around and I would record on Audacity, you know, just some layers of keys. And that was kind of more fun and gratifying for me because I could feel immediate results. Um, but then I actually, I went on a trip to India, um, with some friends from church and, um, we traveled around and visited a bunch of people who were doing work, um, with elementary schools and preschools and, um, visiting them. So during that trip, my uh, friend Marie, she asked if I'd be willing to play guitar for them just so that we could have some community music, um, each day together as like a team. Um, and she allowed, well, she let me play her daughter, Jean's guitar, which was a nylon string, um, just like a basic kit guitar. Um, and so that is the guitar we brought to India and I played it for three weeks. And, and that, I think, leading up to that trip when I was like oh man like I'm gonna play music for our group like every day I gotta get I gotta figure this out so I picked out songs and I practiced them and practicing to to go on that trip was probably when I got the most comfortable on guitar because I hadn't really played the bulk of my time on guitar before that so went to went to India played every day for three weeks um I wrote a few songs while I was there um and that guitar was super portable and it it of course then meant a lot to me after that so we I got home and I returned the guitar to Marie um but the next week she brought it back to me and she said you know I think that this guitar is yours now you need to keep this so I named that guitar Rubenstein and I still have it and Rubes Rubes yeah uh and it I mean it doesn't it doesn't have a hookup or anything um no pickups and and it's again nylon string no hookup and it's it's a wide neck so it's not the best guitar for me to play but it does it means a lot to me so I played that guitar for a long time a friend of mine gave me she was like you need a steel string guitar so she gave me this really uh cheap guitar um that was I mean, Rubenstein stays in tune. Like, that guitar yeah. is reliable. This one may have been a steel string with a regular neck, but it it just did not have good intonation or anything like that. So I had that one lying around, but I still what, ended up just... What brand was it? Uh, it was a Kona. Kona, okay. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. So that was kind of what I was dealing with. And then um, in uh, Christmas of 2015, my brother orchestrated uh, a this lot one? of my Jared? family members and friends, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they bought me a beautiful Martin Dreadnought guitar. Uh, and that is what I play uh, now. And it Martin. was a dream come true. I always wanted a Martin. And I, I always, you know, I, I knew I was going to work towards that. But that was the most special gift I've ever received. Those, that Martin, 
it's it's beautiful the, the sound it makes with steels and nylon. Oh uh, yeah, I think they both do I great. I just love Martin yeah. guitars. It's a good one. Yeah. How about you, Jared? So I started out playing my dad's guitars, same ones Shiloh uh, referenced. The Gibson. Yeah, the, the the Gibson and primarily the Ovation. So um, Ovation Acoustics, if you know them, they have that round back um, fiberglass or whatever it is, and they're pretty loud. And like Shiloh said, it it had a pretty high action. It, I I think ideally would have needed to be set up, um, and and heavy gauge strings. So I actually learned to like really handle, handle that in. guitar. <laughs> um, I played it for for high school youth group initially, and. Um, and so I, I love to, to play loud and hard on that guitar. Um, and then the first guitar that I got was a baby blue Fender Stratocaster. Hey, yeah. she so, got the rock and roll over here. <laughs> Such a pretty guitar. Yeah, so I mean, I, I was into the idea of electric guitar and um, and I played that through, through, through most of the rest of the years of um, of high school youth group and also, yeah, in a metal garage band that was crazy. Um, and then I actually felt like I had a time where I swung back to gravitating to the acoustic and felt more comfortable on it um, and ended up selling that baby blue Stratocaster, which I'm a little bit sad about in hindsight. Um, yeah. in hindsight. And um, and then it was a couple years ago when I was working for a church as a worship leader um, that they gave me a gift after a year of working there of putting some money toward a guitar for me. So that's when I got my um, Taylor acoustic. Taylor, yes. another great brand. 324CE, mahogany top. I like it. So we represent both. <laughs> yes. All right, Bird and Willow, pleasure having you here. Uh, thank you for coming on board. Thank you. And, thank you for uh, having us. You guys are going to close that, this out with uh, a song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, looking forward to it. We're going to play a new it. one for we'll you. get some guitars out. A new one. Not from the EP. Cool.